This is Capo Go for February 20th, 2023. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in just 15 minutes per week. I'm your co-host, Shai Nechmad. And I'm your other co-host, Jonathan Hall. And we both have our hot cup of coffees for this one, luckily. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so let's jump into this week's news. We have a lot of topics to talk about and a really great interview after the break. Yes, I'm looking forward to the interview. I haven't heard it yet. I know you did it uh, when I wasn't able to join. So, Jonathan, what are the latest releases? Right off the press, of course, we already talked about this last week. Go 120.1 and 1.19.6 have been released. We didn't know what was in them last week because they were security patches. Now we know. It's a large collection of security things. Um, I don't know that anything really stands out. There's a couple of denial of service attack options. Large handshakes can cause a panic in... TLS, a whole bunch of things. Uh, go read the, the release notes if you're really curious. But the TLDR, just upgrade. Make sure you're on the latest version. Yeah, one thing I liked was uh, how you can exploit a vulnerability by creating a malformed TIFF image. Yeah. It just consumes a ton of memory. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was a pretty cool vulnerability. And also, it was discovered by uh, open source fuzzing, uh, which was pretty cool. Becoming a more and more a prevalent tool in uh, vulnerability research if you're into that kind of yeah. thing. So upgrade from uh, to go 1.20.1, 1.19.6. And if you're using the golang.org slash x slash image and uh, slash tiff packages, upgrade to version 0.5.0 of those. Related on the same topic, um, Labstack Echo released a new point release 4.10.1, which just imports those new packages and a few other minor bug fixes. Uh, but if you're an Echo user, make sure you update there too to get those latest security fixes. And other than the security fixes, there's also a release to TinyGo. Yeah, TinyGo uh, 0.27.0 has been released. Uh, if you're not familiar, TinyGo is it's a s- subset of Go, and it compiles down to really small binaries for primarily for embedded systems. Um, and they released a new version, uh, 0.27.0, which adds support for Go 1.20, LLVM 15, and a whole bunch of other improvements. The The changelog was really long. So if you're into embedded stuff, go check that out. And closely related to that, uh, this week I stumbled upon PureGo um, via the Go Weekly newsletter, which uh, if you like our show, uh, we recommend you know you subscribe to so PureGo just released an alpha version of 0.2 i don't think it's the most stable project on the planet but it's really really cool for calling c functions without c go it was developed for a game engine that only uses go and only uses windows and blah 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 but it does seem like it has a lot of benefits if you need to interrupt c and go um, and you don't want to use c go which is pretty interesting also released, uh, I, th- I think, this week. Nice. Very cool. And what, else, what do we have in the news for upcoming uh, changes? There's an accepted proposal. Um, I think it follows the usual, you know, something is developed by the community, and then it's developed in experimental, and then the language spec sort of uh, rises up to meet it, and then it finally uh, gets accepted into the standard library. Uh, This time is for slices. There's a new standard library package that's based on uh, experimental slices that has um, quite a lot of useful APIs. Equal uh, and equal with a function. Compare and compare with a function. So basically, these two functions take slices uh, and compare them, uh, check if they're equal. Um, Underneath the hood, they use the uh, comparable type which is also something that was discussed this week. Uh, in Go120, there is uh, a whole new set of underlying mechanisms to make the comparable type work. 
Uh, it's pretty heady and complicated. I tried to read the blog post and I had to reread it a few times. So I'm honestly 100% sure that we can't do it justice in this podcast. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell the people to jump into the show notes and see the blog post by uh, Rob Grismer. It sort of explains why map from any to string would work, but a generic lookup table from any to comparable wouldn't work. Uh, and then how in Go120 that would work again. So okay. uh, if you're into programming languages as a thing, I think you're going to like this uh, blog post. And if you just want your things to work, just upgrade to Go120 and they're just going to work. <laughs> uh, so I think based on top of that proposal, uh, a lot of the features that uh, the proposed API for the new standard uh, slices package is going to work uh, pretty well. And the proposal is really well written. Uh, it's closed already because it's been accepted. If you want to read it, uh, go ahead and uh, check out the link in the show notes as well. So we can probably expect that in 1.21, I, I would imagine. I hope so. It doesn't sound like it's a lot of work, but since the comparable type is kind of yeah. new, they might discover some edge cases around and it. And you might recall two weeks ago, we uh, we mentioned that a similar maps package had been, that, that proposal had been accepted. So we, we should have some yeah. great new maps and slice utility functions in the new standard library. Hopefully in 1.21. Yeah, but honestly, anyone who's been working with these tether types in a large part, in large enough project already has dumped in some, you know, slash utils, slash uh, why isn't this in the standard library dot go file somewhere. That'll be a fun PR that, that, with all the red lines in it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we have some uh, interesting libraries released uh, and tools released uh, this week, both relating to data. The, the first one on the list, it's not really a new release exactly, but uh, the Go Redis package. Uh, if you've been using Redis in Go, you've probably been using Go Redis, which was hosted at uh, github.com slash go-redis slash redis, and then V8 for the latest version. Well, Redis has officially adopted this library now as their official package. So it's, it's no longer just a community-driven effort. It's now part of the official thing, which means it gets better support and a new version number. So the new import path is github.com slash redis slash go dash redis slash v9. So just take that go redis and redis and, re and revert them, and you have the new import path, and then add v9, because you kind of have to do that when you change something. So, And the API for redis, if you have used redis in other languages in the past, and you know, you, you're considering using redis in go, uh, the API is honestly really great. Uh, it's uh, it's it's well designed. It gives you really good and transparent access into uh, Redis, and it doesn't attempt to be a heavy ORM. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, we're using it at Reco at work, uh, and it works pretty well. Other than uh, Go Redis, there's another tool uh, relating to data that's been released. Generally, seeing a trend of a lot of data related things. Uh, on our last uh, episode, we interviewed uh, someone about Apache Arrow, Matthew Topol, mm -hmm. which is also a data thing in Go. And in general, it seems like there's a ton of community and even enterprise effort around Go and data science and data engineering, which is great to see. It's not just a HTTP server library anymore. <laughs> um, so one tool that's been very useful, uh, it's a CLI called Plumber. Uh, which is a dev tool for your CLI to inspect and pipe and message and redirect data for basically Kafka, RabbitMQ, PubSubs, etc. Um, if you have you know Kafka or any equivalent system for PubSub and messaging set up uh, in your company in production, you probably have some scripts, right? Uh, trying to read it, trying to write into it, 
for tests um, and just for debugging on production if you have to or in you know in your dev environments. This is just sort of a Swiss army knife for working with your uh, messaging systems, which sometimes can be a little hidden. Uh, you know, they, they are a little too backend the E for my for my tastes. Mm-hmm. A little harder to inspect than a DB and, and very temporal. Uh, it also works really well with a protobuf, uh, which is great for uh, if you're using protobuf like me. It works really well. You just have to import your, your files correctly, which is always a pain when you're using a protobuf anyway. And they have had a, a really recent uh, release four days ago. And, you know, it seems like a very alive project right now. Their major release, the one where we uh, that brought them to our attention, uh, was the 2.0.0 release two weeks ago, uh, where the company behind Plumber changed their name to streamdial.com and, you know, supported a, a ton of features and, and bug fixes and stuff like that. Um, including dead letter cues, which is obviously useful if you want to inspect what went wrong and not what went right. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, interesting stuff. What else? What else happened in the community? Yeah, so uh, you, you may recall, was it a week ago or two weeks ago? We uh, mentioned that Gorilla Toolkit had been effectively deprecated, archived. It's still available, but it's no longer going to be getting any updates. So you know that raises a question: you know, what what should you use instead? And and there's been an interesting conversation over on Reddit about specifically the Gorilla Session package. Gorilla is a, a, it's not really a framework. It's more of a collection of tools mm-hmm. related to various aspects of web stuff. And the session one in particular got this thread going on Reddit that has uh, uh, 80 comments in total. But it's, it's a really good conversation if you're wondering what should you do instead of your Gorilla Session. Well, the, the TLDR is write your own. It's about 100 lines of code. Unless, there's always a caveat, <laughs> unless you have some interesting needs like single sign-on or more complex than just I need a cookie and I need to tie it to some data in a database. I found that usually these sort of threads, and this one is no different, are separated into three camps. The first one is it, it works, don't touch it. Who cares if uh, Gorilla Toolkit was archived or unmitted? The code is there. It's still alive. Just use it. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, the second group is, oh, you can do it in an hour. It's very simple. It's just a cookie. It's just text. It's just bytes. What's the problem? Just write your own. And the third camp is, here's a shiny new thing, you know, <laughs> untitled uh, dot shiny new thing, point, open parentheses. My GitHub gist, download this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, like always, it's very situational. Um, I think that for this specific case, if, you know, you heard the news about Gorilla Toolkit and you're sad, you're probably good for like another year to just forget about it and use the archive thing. And then when new security vulnerabilities are going to pop up and they're not going to be maintained, you're just going to have to write your own and hope that in the 12 months since you made that decision, someone uh, wrote a really short, concise, small library just for this use case and not a huge toolkit that you know requires maintainers, etc. Certainly there are other packages that serve the same purpose, but uh, at least in my experience, they serve much more than just this purpose. Like, like LabStack Echo I mentioned earlier. Um, it does this for you, but you kind of have to adopt the whole Echo framework. You can't just plug in a session manager. So I think if I were using this, well, I, let me first say I haven't been using Gorilla Sessions since the context package was released in Go 1.7 uh, because it uses a, a, a clever mechanism to, to handle uh, contexts, uh, but it's it's kind of ugly. It uses unsafe and, and stuff like that. So I stopped using it a long time ago in the first place for that very reason. But if you're still using it, and many people are, I've worked on recent projects that are still using it, I, I think I would kind of do what I just said. I would 
I, I might fork it if I wanted to, but I would keep using the existing code. Um, yeah, the reason I would fork it is because it's then easier for me to update dependencies and, and fix anything if I need to. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it is kind of my philosophy. And I think, uh, you know, adding to your philosophy, also doing what Shai said is, is generally good <laughs> advice. <laughs> Um, yeah, so other than that, running out the news, there's one interesting talk that was done at FOSDAM, which you talked about, but you didn't get to go there because you had a commitment. Right. Uh, obviously, there were a, a bunch of great talks, like uh, like at every conference, and uh, you know, thanks to anyone who got on stage and uh, tried to share with the community what they know. Um, one interesting talk that uh, at least caught my attention was uh, Etienne from WeV8 talking about building a database in Go, which, you know, it starts with the normal, uh, what's the motivation, what are we building, et cetera, et cetera. But really, really, really jumps quickly into super low-level garbage collection, profiling, and performance stuff. So if you're interested in stuff like that, if you're interested, for example, in the memory arenas, you know, discussion we had a few episodes ago in Go 20, I think you would find this talk very interesting. You know, less than 10 minutes in, Etienne goes super hard with, yeah, parsing 1 billion numbers t- takes 26 seconds. How can we <laughs> afford that? Uh, let's see how much time was spent on garbage collection and stuff we don't actually care about. And also, uh, thanks to you know the Reddit community giving us another point of reference to talk about, that's how I got to this talk because uh, it seems like people on uh, Goblang Reddit really liked it as well. And nice work at the end. I-, I think it's a great talk. Right. Just to round out, uh, Golang CI Lint 1.51.2 was released. Uh, this is it shows you how uh, you know on top of this show is 11 hours ago. <laughs> um, a lot of bumps uh, for uh, dependencies, which is important, and one fix for cache uh, status size calculation, which is important, and one uh, configuration change for GoVet, which will probably make a lot of people happy because they disable that rule so if you have in your in the back of your mind yeah i disabled the time format thing on govet upgrade and then undisable it yes <laughs> we're about the 15 minute mark which is our promise to the community to get the news to them in 15 minutes per week all right so i think it's time for uh, an ad break see you on the other side <laughs> Well, welcome to our amazing ad break. Shai, we have a sponsor this week. Would you tell us about them? Thanks to our sponsors, Keep. Keep is an open source alerting tool built by the developers for developers. You can find them at keephq.dev. They're good friends of the show. If you or your team suffer from alert fatigue, uh, you want to improve the alerts you're getting, and you want to join in on a super exciting, super young project, the repository was opened this week, already used by 164 people, starred almost 700 times uh, and forked 12 times. Uh, you know, if you want to join this community as it's growing uh, and take a look at Keep, it's a simple CLI tool that contains everything you need to start creating and managing alerts uh, with a lot of ready-to-use providers. You can configure and trigger and test your alerts, uh, and it should be pretty easily deployable. And my favorite part the alerts themselves are simple uh, files, YAML files, human-readable that sit within Git, obviously developed by developers who like uh, code. So uh, thank you to Keep HQ Dev. Did I just hear you say that YAML is human-readable? 
I, you know what? You know what? I'll take that back. Uh, it's more human readable than other options. Okay. Um, and it's in Git, which is, you know, I, I would prefer over uh, many other things, as long as it's source controlled. Fair enough. Uh, so thanks to our sponsors, Keep. So other than our sponsor, uh, we have a formatting note for uh, this episode about how we're going to structure the episodes going forward. Yeah. So last week we asked for the community to give some feedback about uh, the episode format because we've had a little bit of talk from community primarily on our Slack channel over on the Gopher Slack, Cup O Go, Kebab Case, if you want to join, about the interview versus the news. So we, we asked for your opinion. We got about nine or ten responses. And we did some number crunching. We looked at some analytics. And we talked about it amongst ourselves. And we came to the big, exciting conclusion that for the moment, we're not really going to change anything. Thank you for, for uh, joining this pointless exercise. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the truth is we really, we really do value your feedback. And, it, and it, we, we did talk about this hard. We, we considered about four or five different options. But at the end of the day, the, the biggest feedback we got was that there's a certain group of people who really like the news and they don't want the interview. And we appreciate that. So our, our intention is to make it just black and white, night and day clear when the news is over. So you can, in your pod player, you can just skip the rest of the episode if you want to. And that's the intention. We, we won't be insulted, we promise. Yeah, exactly. You aren't not going to hurt our feelings if you don't listen to us uh, interview people. So that's a relatively easy problem to solve. That seems easier than creating either two podcasts or two episodes in the same podcast or whatever. On the other hand, we can imagine easily that there might be some people, especially in the future, who only want to listen to the interviews. We think this might be most likely in you know six months or a year. As the news gets stale, but the yeah. interviews stay golden. Right. So what we would like to do, if that describes you, if you're interested in only the interviews, at least on some episodes, let us know. And we'll we'll consider splitting those episodes, uh, the interviews out into a, maybe another podcast, maybe Cup of Go interviews or something like that, where you can get just the interviews of, of older shows. But for now, to keep our volunteer efforts as light as possible and to satisfy the majority of the, the listeners as possible, we're going to keep our format essentially the same, but we're going to try to make that break between the news and the interview a little more obvious so you don't miss it if you're driving or, or jogging down the street or something like that and you're not paying close attention. Thank you to the community members for helping us uh, do some bike shedding. We really do appreciate your feedback. Uh, there are a few people who reached out to us on Slack or via the survey or on DMs uh, they want to say thank you to. And we're going to butcher your name, so we're going to go really, really quickly, one by one. So Andres Arpi. You got to do this. <laughs> I, I can't do this one. Uh, Ladislav for. You There's got not it, enough fouls in there. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> I would say Preskovic. Preskovic. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, Ladislav, if we put your name. I'm sure we did. Uh, we, well, we, we really we... appreciate your feedback. Uh, Chaim Lavari and Meir Blumenfeld, thanks a lot. Joe Davidson, Simon Tour, uh, Theo Silvo, and Tom Toledo, and everyone else we forgot to mention. If you do want to reach us, so there are a few ways to do that. Kapago.dev uh, is our domain. As Jonathan mentioned, in the Gopher Slacks, we have a channel where all this discussion uh, took place. Uh, hashtag a cup o go, kebab case with hyphens. Or you can email us at news at cupogo.dev. If you don't like the show, then let us know. Swear at us. Uh, we appreciate any feedback. But if you like the show, please leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you catch your podcasts. 
Uh, it helps out a lot. And also share this episode, you know, with your coworkers or uh, co-students or, you know, your other gophers in your area. Stick around if you want to. If you're not, this is your chance. People who are driving you and want to stop listening to the interviews. But if you are interested in this week's interview, we're interviewing Daniel Neffin. And actually, it was just me because Jonathan uh, was not available. Yeah. Um, but a really cool interview about open source uh, testing, go test some and go test tools, and just how uh, Daniel was able to, you know, maintain open source contributions over a long period of time. He's a great guy. A really interesting interview. Another short programming note: next week's episode is going to be Jonathan alone. I'm not yep. going to be here. I'm going to try to fly solo. See if I can do it by myself. <laughs> Today we have with us Daniel, I hope I'm saying it correctly, Neffin? Yep. That's Hi, me. Daniel. Great Hello. to have you on the show. Thanks. Great to be here. To listeners who might not have listened to our second episode, or even the first one, I don't remember in which one, uh, we mentioned in the news section an open source project, a really useful one, uh, which you might have heard of called GoTestSum. If you haven't heard about it, you're going to learn about it more now. And just strolling through GitHub, looking at the release and seeing who did it. Um, we stumbled onto uh, Daniel's GitHub profile, which was, you know, if you imagine the GitHub page, you have that uh, quilt of uh, commits. It was fully green. Uh, and we knew just then that we really want to reach out to Daniel. We did and he uh, agreed to join us on the show. So thanks a lot. Uh, to people who don't know you, who are you? What do you do? My name is Daniel. I've been a, a Go software engineer for the last seven years. I've been uh, fortunate to contribute projects like uh, Docker Compose, Docker Engine, HashiCorp Console. Um, also, I had the opportunity to contribute to CircleCI's uh, build build platform whenever I worked there. Uh, yeah, so re really enjoy working in Go, really enjoy working in open source, and uh, happy to be here to chat about it. Thanks. So basically, you know, all our developer audiences, I would say about 50% are running your code, even if they don't know about it. Probably. Between, between Docker Compose and, and Docker and uh, go test some, yeah. All right. So I would actually love to uh, delve into go test yourself and go test some first. So what is go test some? How did it came to be? Yeah. So go test some is a tool for running tests. And it doesn't try to replace all of what GoTest already does. GoTest already does a lot of great stuff. What it tries to be is uh, a layer on top with a few extra features that some people might, might want. Um, so it uses in Go 1.10, they added a dash JSON flag to the GoTest uh, command. And what that uh, let people do is they, they got a JSON output of all of the events that, uh, from, from the test, GoTest runner. And so what I did with that is I wrote a tool that consumed all that JSON and solved a bunch of problems that, that I had at the time. So at the time I was working at Docker, the uh, Docker engine had a huge test suite, ran in Jenkins, gave out lots and lots of log output. So whenever you had a test failure, it was pretty difficult to go and find exactly all of the relevant log lines mixed into like thousands, I forget if it was tens of thousands of these log lines. It was really difficult to debug these failures. I believe they were running with gotest-v because they wanted to integrate with Jenkins, which needs the JUnit XML. And the way to, to, to do that at the time was you pipe all of that verbose output into uh, a, another 
tool that kind of generated that XML for you. And so, so I saw that I was coming from Python and I was like, oh, I was using this PyTest tool in Python and it, it was great. It did these summaries at the end. It told you how many failed, how many skipped, color-coded a few things. I was like, I mean, we've, we've got this JSON flag now. Why not, why not do something a little bit you know, better for, for our use case? So the first thing I did was I, I, I put this tool together with, um, you know, it let you output the JUN XML without having to pipe all the output through a tool. So it kind of just wrote it out to a file. The output to standard out could be a customizable format. So I, you know, I kept the standard go test and go test verbose uh, formats, but also added a few kind of more compact ones that included a bit of color. Before you go into how I developed the first, help me uh, settle a debate. Sure. Uh, inter- that's raging internally within my team, and I'm sure every Go test some user uh, has. Which one's the correct one? Dots, package name, or test name? Which one are you using? Yeah. You know what? I don't, I don't have a good answer to that. So the reason that I, I put multiple formats in was that I thought, you know, depending on where you're running tests you might want something a little bit different. And depending on how large your test suite is, you might want something a little different. So personally, I use test name format for yes. local development. Local I development, always test name format. I really like that format. Um, you know, I, I, I'll, I can talk more about it later, but I usually only run tests for a single package. So like, it doesn't make sense to use the other ones. In CI, I'll often also use test name format, but I can see the appeal of using package name in CI if you've got a lot of packages um, you may not want to scroll through like thousands of lines of, of the test names. Uh, but yeah, definitely personally, test name. All right. So sorry, I got you off there. I just had to settle the debate uh, no within my team. I'm, I'm uncomfortable admitting how much of uh, the, you know, the effort of setting up the podcast and setting up the interview was just to settle petty debates <laughs> with the fellow developers. So you're starting to say how, uh, you know, you set up a few formats and set up yep. uh, the JUnit file output as part of the work in Docker Compose, because it has a huge test suite. Docker Engine, actually. Yeah, exactly. Because um, at the time, Docker Compose was, was written in Python. That's, that's changed since. Yeah, and, and, the, and the third thing that um, we really needed was make it easier to find the lines relevant to the test failure. So a big thing GoTestSum does, the sum part of it stands for summary. And so at the very end, you know, you run all your tests, it'll print out um, the output of the failed test, the output of the skip tests, if there are any build errors, you know, one package fails out of 20, it becomes really hard to find those build errors, prints out those build errors, and the line at the bottom just kind of summarizing the whole thing, saying total number of tests, runtime, uh, number of failed, skip errors, yeah. Considering it's, you know, a utility above Go test, mm-hmm. it has, a, I think, a surprising amount of uh, users for something that's so simple or stars. A lot of the gophers I talk to just, uh, yeah, of course, just run every time they see me run go test, they're like, oh, go test some. I'm like, yeah, 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 I haven't installed it yet or whatever. But one thing that I find interesting is you still support it. You're talking about something that started many years ago and you yep. the most recent release uh, was on January 14th with still like relevant features, not just security vulnerabilities uh, fixes. So are you still using it yourself? Do you get feedback from the community? How, how does the action around the GoTest sum look like? Yeah, uh, I definitely still use it myself. So um, for local development, I use the watch flag, dash dash watch. 
And so what that does is it sits there and listens to file system notifications. So every time I save a file, it automatically runs the tests, all of the tests for the for that package where the file was in. I, I'm a really big, you know, I want really quick feedback loops. I do some rough version of test-driven development. And so that ability to just compile the package and run the test for the package, get me like, you know, feedback in somewhere between a second and five seconds, um, really valuable for me whenever I'm doing work. So I use it every single day. And I also, mo most teams I've worked on are very happy to use it in, in CI as well. They Better integration, easier to debug failures. But to answer the other part of your question, like where, where do the features come from? Definitely, um, yeah, I could talk a little bit more about it, but each kind of, every time I changed roles, I'd land on a team and I'd be like, oh, like there's a couple more things I could add here to like deal with the problems that this team happens to be having, right? Everyone doesn't have the same problems. Um, so I, you know, I went to CircleCI and there was some more developer, local development features I added. I went to HashiCorp and it was like, okay, this console is a, a very old project. It's had a huge community of people contributing to it. And uh, the test suite was not the most reliable. There were some flaky tests there, right? So it's like, well, we don't want every developer to have to constantly be struggling with these flaky tests. Let's find a way to like prioritize the most flaky ones and allow everyone else to just get their work done without rerunning stuff. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's a combination of problems I've felt personally. And then, yeah, people come to the issue tracker. They'll be like, hey, I'm trying to do this. And I'll be like, awesome. Like, let me let me see what we can do, what we can get in there. You know, I, I, I'm not, I don't always have the opportunity to jump in and develop every feature. But I'll at the very least try to be like, this sounds great. You know, if you were looking to contribute, maybe try out something along these lines, I'd be happy to review it. That's really cool. You say every organization you got to had slightly different issues, but I think it speaks mm -hmm. to how Go thinks that you were able to, that all these teams just ran Go tests. And, and you know, if the projects you were jumping between were, I, I'm not here to shit about other languages, right? But if they were Python, you could have ended up with one uh, team doing unit test, one team doing PyTest, one team doing Mocha and like whatever. Um, yep. And you know, carrying over the go test some bag of tricks between and improving it along the way wouldn't have been possible without something so standardized and baked into the tool chain. Absolutely, absolutely. Like the I feel like the Go tool chain does an amazing job of making sure it's got like a very uh robust standard set of features that are gonna make it so that, you know, the no one has to go and write a, a, a Go test runner that actually does all of the complexity of Go test because it's provided a very nice foundation to, to build stuff on top of. One hundred percent. If you want to check out Go test some, if you're not using it already, you should you should just use it. It's very 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 useful. I can uh, personally attest. Then go check it out on GitHub. Uh, go test yourself slash Go test some. Uh, the link is also going to be in the show notes. Let's talk about Go test yourself and you know the rest of your very greenish contribution uh, in, in GitHub. It definitely looks like you're doing a ton of open source work. How much of that work is you know, hobby stuff that you do for yourself and how much of it is corporate open source stuff that you actually do as part of your job? That's a good question. I, don't, I haven't gotten measured. I think, uh, I think a good chunk of it is, is for my job. Uh, you know, working at InfraInfra Infra is open source, and so a good number of the commits there are, are from that. Um, I, I'm the type of person that uses Git for just about everything. So I have, like, notes that I take for my daily, like, hey, what do I do today? What am I doing tomorrow? That all gets checked into a private repo in Git, so that's a few more of them. Some of, some of it's open source, but yet... Yeah, I. I 
you know, if I've even used Git as like a backup system for like save files for video games. Um, some number of those boxes are definitely just kind of automated things getting pushed as a backup system. But uh, I don't know, maybe probably like 70% uh, day job and 30% open source uh, hobby, sorry. I think this is really, you know, an interesting point. And recently, not, not in the Go community, but actually in the JavaScript community, I think it really flared up because of Core.js. I don't know if you saw that article, uh, but the maintainer behind Core.js, which is like a super huge, like... Um, I forgot the name. It's like Babel. Uh, it makes your JavaScript code work on all browsers, even though they all have slightly different standards and slightly different bugs. It's a huge product and very complicated. Uh, apparently, it's all maintained by one guy who has a lot of uh, issues. I don't really, really want to get into it. It's very politically charged and personally charged. And you know, I don't know the story, but he's been doing it on his own dime, getting some Patreon and getting sure. whatever. Couldn't get it. Uh, couldn't get a corporation behind it what you told us sounds like a lot of uh, healthy ways to do it like the, here's a company i solve a problem but i do it as an open source and i give it back to the community and then it stays alive and it comes with me yeah everybody wins right well, whoever hires you get a, a great tool to come along with it the the community enjoys it sounds like the perfect combination model at least uh, in my view and i'm happy that you've been able to do it because i've been using it for free and until today, I haven't heard about you at all. So <laughs> it's just been a faceless uh, tool in my CLI for the last couple of years. Other than GoTestSum, there's also GoTest.Tools. Can you elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So it's not nearly as popular, for sure. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, I came from Python, and Python had this PyTest framework. And it actually had both the test runner and it had a it had a framework in there for, for doing, uh, you know, for, for assertions. And so the gotest.tools is kind of inspired by the other side of that um, PyTest stuff. So um, there are tools in there for um, golden files. I, I'd never heard the name myself, but the idea is you have the expected value of a test stored in a, in a file. And it's a kind of convenient way of being like, okay, compare the actual result to, to this file and, you know, that's easy enough to do with a library. The, the nice thing it brings along is you can go, you can just run dash update and it'll auto write that expected value, auto update it for you. Um, there's, there's actually a cool project in the community called uh, Val AS, HexOps Val AST that tries to do that very same thing, but for any expected value. So it'll like rewrite your source code for you. Haven't, haven't used that much, but so there's some cool, other cool stuff out there. But yeah, ge the general idea of this gotest.tools project is, is that kind of thing. Small packages to handle kind of very specific use cases. So there's another one in there for running uh, Linux commands, running commands as part of an integration test. There's one in there for working with the file system, either building up complex expectations of, okay, this file and directory with these permissions, and also creating that as a test data fixture for for uh, for a test. Um, and then there's a, there's an assertion library. I know assertion library is very controversial in Go, um, but what I will say is, you know, I think the Go team the Go team in the frequently asked questions for Go had had some comments about assertions why they didn't like it, and I think I honestly think they're right. So what, what we did, again, I was working at Docker at the time, and what we did, we had three different assertion frameworks. And what we did is like, okay, these are the, this is the cautionary tale from the Go team. Can we build an assertion library that tries as much as possible to avoid these, these landmines, right? And I think, 
I, I personally feel like uh, we did a pretty good job. Um, but uh, not going to try to push assertions on anyone because I know there's there's not, <laughs> not everyone's a fan. So that's actually leads me to my, to my next question. Both go test some and some parts of uh, you know go test tools seem to me like you know natural contenders for let's take these very useful and popular and at this point battle tested uh, tools and propose them to the you know to the standard library. On the other hand, it's not a very you know, Linuxy small mm-hmm. tools that connect together nicely via pipe approach. Uh, do you see something like that happening? Like your uh, your code en- ending up in the uh, you know in the Go standard tool chain, or do you think it's not a good fit? I I suspect that what you know what exists in Go test tools and Go test some right now would not be a drop in good fit for the standard library. I think there have been proposals uh, uh, for the Go tool chain to do more with Go test. Um, I think uh, it's nice to have a very small, robust, but like fair, fairly limited feature set in, in the Go library to build on top of. Not everyone has a use case that, that benefits from Go test some, right? People have different workflows. Their orgs do different things for CI. Uh, and having it be a community project is kind of nice because it lets you experiment. The The bar for getting a feature into GoTestSum is orders of magnitude lower than getting a feature into the Go tool chain, and it lets us experiment, right? And and uh, I think it's a safe enough place to experiment and try things out and, and solve use cases and see where it goes. On the on the the library side, the GoTest tool side, um, it's interesting because, so there's another, it, it the assertions rely heavily on a Go Go Comp package that I think got built by the Google Cloud team, I believe. Um, and there's another library out there, I'm forgetting the name of Assertion Library, that kind of started up at almost the exact same time. You also used Go Comp for for deep uh, deep equals types assertions and did a lot of Testify maybe. No, Testify was like years, years, years early. This it's it's not super mm. super popular. Um, I, maybe I can I can look it up later, but um, th- where I'm going with this is that uh, they I think have a lot better connections with the Go team, and some of the things in that library, and that also happen to be in Go test tools, have actually made it into the standard library. So things like um, testing tempter, like that's that's relatively in the last couple of releases that came out of you know both both go test tools and this this other library i can't remember the name of had something like that t.cleanup came from this other library this ability to like instead of doing defers just just registering with t.cleanup so it is really cool to see some like piece by piece feature by feature slowly moving in and i i like i like that approach to doing it you know um I think it's a you know it's good for the standard library to be very conservative, keep it small, but still enable that community, the community to experiment with things. Uh, d- despite the Go community not always be super enthusiastic about experiments, it's fine. Like there's <laughs> yeah. enough people in the community that are that I think it works out. There's a question we ask all our interviewees. Uh, two very, it's a two-parter and it's a very difficult one. Okay. The first one is you know I'm I'm forcing you. You you can't uh, you can't say oh no nothing. What's the feature that's getting deleted from the Go language if you have to choose which one? Yeah. Uh, so I think for me, I, you know, hypothetically, because it's just hard to remove anything, but, but hypothetically, I think the thing I would remove uh, is a small thing, and it's block 
definitions for variables and types. So you know how like imports variables and types, you can have them on a single line. You can say var, 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 type, 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 or you can block them together and put them around parentheses. Um, personally, I would, I would imports. It's like nice, but like, it's not super necessary, but for, for variables and types, I, I, I always want to like have types declared as separate things. So I would totally remove the support for defining three types or 10 types together, 10 variables together. I think it might make uh, ASDs a bit easier and also grepping a little bit easier, yep. stuff like that. Yeah, I find like refactoring, every time there's a block of like five variables and if you have to change that function, like the first thing you have to go do is like re restructure that thing and then yeah. Well, I, I'm sure that, you know, even if we can remove it from the language, maybe we can uh, make the Golang CI uh, lint team uh, add, add a, a very opinionated linter. Yes. Actually, there's a linter that does the opposite that I always turn off. It's like, no, <laughs> stop forcing me to block these things. I want, I want you to unblock them. Yeah. Interesting. And now the second part, which is a lot harder. There are many other languages in the landscape. Obviously, in, in our podcast, Kapago, we really like Go. Mm -hmm. Um, but let's say you had to uh, steal a feature from a different language into Go. What are you taking? Oof. I, I did not com come compared for this question. I didn't know this was going to be it. Um, Don't worry. The, the grades are only at the end of the semester. Don't <laughs> worry. I haven't dabbled too much in other languages. Um, I'll say... I did a little bit of Scala and Clojure functional type languages. And I really, even though I didn't, you know, fall in love with the languages, I really appreciated the stuff I learned, learned from it. Um, so potentially maybe something that makes functional operations a little bit easier to do and go, I suppose the addition of generics actually maybe, uh, maybe gets go pretty Gets close. Us closer. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. It's it's really funny because I think um one of our past interviews, Mickey literally said what you said, but the other way around. What's the first <laughs> thing you remove? Generics? What do you want more? I want more blocking or less keywords. <laughs> interesting. Um so Daniel, this has been really instructive. Let's say people want to reach out to you. Is there anything where they can reach out and what should they reach out about? Yeah, um, probably the easiest way to find me is on GitHub. You can find my email address on there. So my, you know, either find me from the Go Test Some project or find me at uh, D and then my last name, N-E-P-H-I-N. -E That's my GitHub username. Yeah, if anyone's got uh, interesting thoughts about the the open source projects I've, I've, I've talked about, would love to hear from you. Um, I'm also looking for a new role. So if, uh, if you've got something that you think might be interesting to match my skill set, definitely reach out and uh, love to talk to you. A rare opportunity to snipe a gopher directly from uh, our podcast. I promise uh, there are no uh, fees <laughs> introduced here in, uh, from joining the podcast. Thanks a lot, uh, Danielle. My my cup of uh, admittedly tea. It's uh, you're based pretty far away, so so I can't drink coffee. Uh, but it's almost empty. And thank you all very much for listening. I've I've really enjoyed it. <laughs>